Chapter Three of Storky and Co. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tim Bulkley. Storky and Co. by Rudyard Kipling. Chapter Three, An Unsavoury Interlude. It was a maiden aunt of Storky who sent him both books, with the inscription, To Dearest Artie, on his sixteenth birthday. It was McTurk who ordered their hypothecation, and it was Beetle, returned from Biddyford, who flung them on the window-sill of Number 5 study with news that Bastable would advance but ninepence on the two. Eric, or little by little, being almost as great a drug as St. Winifred's, and I don't think much of your aunt. We're nearly out of cartridges, too, Artie dear. Whereupon Storky rose up to grapple with him, but McTurk sat on Storky's head, calling him a pure-minded boy, till peace was declared, as they were grievously in arrears with a Latin prose, as it was a blazing July afternoon, and as they ought to have been at the house cricket match. They began to renew their acquaintance, intimate and unholy, with the volumes. "'Here we are,' said McTurk. "'Corporal punishment, produced on Eric the worst effects. He burned, not with remorse or regret. Make note of that, Beetle. But with shame and violent indignation. He glared. Oh, naughty Eric! Let's get to where he goes in for a drink.' "'Hold on, half a shake.' Here's another sample. The sixth, he says, is the palladium of all public schools. But this lot, Storky wrapped the gilded book, can't prevent fellows drinking and stealing and letting fags out of the window at night and, and doing what they please. Golly, what we've missed, not going to St. Winifred's. I'm sorry to see any boys at my house taking so little interest in their matches. Mr. Prout could move very silently if he pleased though that is no merit in a boy's eyes. He had flung open the study door without knocking, another sin, and looked at them suspiciously. Very sorry indeed. I am to see you frousting in your studies. We've been out ever since dinner, sir, said McTurk wearily. One house match is just like another, and their ploy of that week happened to be rabbit-shooting with saloon pistols. I can't see a ball when it's coming, sir said Beetle. I've had my gig-lamps smashed at the nets till I got excused. I wasn't any good even as a fag then, sir. Tuck is probably your form. Tuck and brewing. Why can't you three take any interest in the honour of your house? They had heard that phrase until they were wearied. The honour of the house was Prout's weak point, and they knew well how to flick him on the raw. "'If you order us to go down, sir, of course we'll go,' said Storky, with maddening politeness. But Prout knew better than that. He'd tried the experiment once at a big match, when the three, self-isolated, stood to attention for half an hour in full view of all the visitors, to whom Fags, subsidised for that end, pointed them out as victims of Prout's tyranny. And Prout was a sensitive man. In the infinitely petty confederacies of the common room, King and Macrea, fellow housemasters, had borne it upon him 
that by games and by games alone was salvation wrought boys neglected were boys lost they must be disciplined left to himself Prout would have made a sympathetic housemaster but he was never so left and with the devilish insight of youth the boys knew to whom they were indebted for his zeal must we go down sir said McTurk I don't want to order you to do what a right-thinking boy should do gladly I'm sorry and he lurched out with some hazy impression that he had sown good seed on poor ground now what does he suppose is the use of that said Beetle though he's cracked King jaws him in the common room about not keeping us up to the mark and McCrea burbles about discipline an old heffy sits between em sweating big drops I heard Oak the common room butler talking to Richards Prout's house servant about it down in the basement the other day when I went uh, down to bag some bread said Storky what did Oak say demanded McTurk throwing Eric into a corner oh he said they make more noise nor a nest full of jackdaws and half of it like we'd no ears in our heads that waited on em they talks over old Prout what he've done and left undone about his boys and how their boys be fine boys and his'n be dom bad well elk talk like that you know and Richards got awfully wrathy he has a down on King for something or other wonder why why King talks about Prout in former and makes allusions and all that only half the chaps are such asses they can't see what he's driving at and do you remember what he said about the casual house last Tuesday he meant us they say he says perfectly beastly things to his own house making fun of Prout's said Beetle well we didn't come here to mix up in their rows McTurk said wrathfully who'll bathe after call-over Kings taking the cricket field come on Turkey seized his straw and led the way they reached the sun-blistered pavilion over against the grey pebble ridge just before roll-call and asking no questions gathered from King's voice and manner that his house was on the road to victory Baha said he turning to show the light of his countenance here we have the ornaments of the casual house at last you consider cricket beneath you I believe the crowd flannelled sniggered and from what I've seen this afternoon I fancy many others of your house hold the same view may I ask what you purpose to do with your noble selves till tea time going down to bathe sir said Storky and whence this sudden zeal for cleanliness there is nothing about you that particularly suggests it indeed so far as I remember I may be at fault but a short time ago five years sir said Beetle hotly King scowled one of you was that thing called a water funk yes a water funk now do you wish to wash it's well cleanliness never injured a boy or a house we will proceed to business and he addressed himself to the call-over board what the deuce did you say anything to him for beetle said McTurk angrily as they strolled towards the big open sea baths 
'Twasn't fair, reminding me of being water funk. My first term, too. Heaps of chaps are when they can't swim. Yes, you ass. But he saw he'd fetched you. You ought never to answer King. But it wasn't fair, Storky. My hat, you've been here six years, and you expect fairness? Well, you are a dithering idiot. A knot of King's boys, also bound for the baths, held them, beseeching them to wash for the honour of their house. That's what comes of King Jorin messin'. Those young animals wouldn't have thought of it unless he'd put it in their heads. Now they'll be funny about it for weeks, said Storky. Don't take any notice. The boys came nearer, shouting an opprobrious word. At last they moved to windward, ostentatiously holding their noses. That's pretty, said Beetle. They'll be Zana House stinks next. When they returned from the baths, damp-headed, languid, and at peace with the world, Beetle's forecast came only too true. They were met in the corridor by a fag, a common lower second fag, who, at arm's length, handed them a carefully wrapped piece of soap, with the compliments of King's house. Hold on, said Storky, checking immediate attack. Who put you up to this, Nixon? Rattray and White? Those were two leaders in King's house. Thank you. There's no answer. Oh, it's too sickening to have this kind of rot shoved on it to a chap. What's the sense of it? What's the fun of it? said McTurk. It will go on to the end of the term, though. Beetle wagged his head sorrowfully. He'd worn many jests threadbare on his own account. In a few days it became established legend of the school that Prout's house did not wash and were therefore noisome. Mr. King was pleased to smile succulently in form when one of his boys drew aside from Beetle with certain gestures. But there seems to be some disability attaching to you, my Beetle, or else why should Burton Major withdraw, so to speak, the hem of his garments? I confess I'm still in the dark. Will someone be good enough to enlighten me? Naturally, he was enlightened by half the form. Extraordinary, most extraordinary. However, each house has its traditions, with which I would not for the world interfere. We have a prejudice in favour of washing. Go on, Beetle. Uh, from uh, Jugarathamen, if you can, avoiding the more flagrant forms of guessing. Prout's house was furious, because Macrea's and Hartrop's houses joined kings to insult them. They called a house-meeting after dinner, an excited and angry meeting of all save the prefects, whose dignity, though they sympathised, did not allow them to attend. They read ungrammatical resolutions and made speeches beginning, "'Gentlemen, we have met upon this occasion,' and ending with, "'It's a beastly shame,' precisely as houses have done since time and schools began. Number five study attended, with its usual air of bland patronage. At last McTurk, of the lantern jaws, delivered himself. "'You jabber and jaw and burble, and that's about all you can do. What's the good of it? King's house will only gloat because they've drawn you, and King will gloat too. Besides, that resolution of Orin's is chock-full of bad grammar, and King will gloat over that.' I thought you and Beetle would put it right, and, and we'd post it in the corridor, 
said the composer, meekly. Passi, je le connais. I'm not going to meddle with the biznai, said Beetle. It's a gloat from King's house. Turkey's quite right. Well, then, Storky, then. Storky puffed out his cheeks and squinted down his nose in the style of Panurge, and all he said was, Oh, you abject burblers! You're three beastly scabs, was the instant retort of democracy, and they went out amid execrations. This is piffling, said McTurk. Let's get our sallies and go and shoot bunnies. Three saloon pistols, with a supply of bulleted breech caps, were stored in Storky's trunk, and this trunk was in their dormitory, and their dormitory was a three-bed attic one, opening out of a ten-bed establishment, which in turn communicated with the great range of dormitories that ran practically from one end of the college to the other. Macrae's house lay next to Prout's, King's next to Macrae's, Hartrop's beyond that again. Carefully locked doors divided house from house, but each house, with its internal arrangements, the college had originally been a terrace of twelve large houses, was a replica of the next, one straight roof covering all. They found Storky's bed, drawn out from the wall to the left of the dormer window, and the latter end of Richard's protruding from a two-foot square cupboard in the wall. "'What's all this? I've never noticed it before. What are you trying to do, Fatty?' "'Fill in basins, Master Corcoran.' Richard's voice was hollow and muffled. "'They've been saving me trouble, yes.' "'Looks like it,' said McTurk. "'Why, you'll stick if you don't take care.' Richard's backed, puffing. "'I can't reach un. "'Yes. "'Tis a turncock, Mr. McTurk. "'They've took and runned all the water-pipes a story higher in the houses, "'runned em all along the hang of the eaves, like.' Runned em in last holidays. I can't wretch the turncock. Let me try, said Storky, diving into the aperture. Slippy to the left, then, Master Cochran, slippy to the left, and feel in the dark. To the left, Storky wiggled, and saw a long line of lead pipe disappearing up a triangular tunnel, whose roof was the rafters and boarding of the college roof, and whose floor was sharp-edged joists, and whose side was the rough studding of the latham plaster wall under the dormer. Rummy show! How far does it go? Right along, Mr. Corcoran. Right along from end to end. Er, runs under the hang of the eaves. Have you reached the stopcock yet? Mr. King got and put in to save us from carrying water from downstairs to fill the basins. No place for a lusty man like old Richard's. I'm too thick about to go ferretin'. Thank ye, Mr. Corcoran. The water squirted through the tap just inside the cupboard, and, having filled the basins, the grateful Richards waddled away. The boys sat round-eyed on their beds, considering the possibilities of this trove. Two floors below them, they could hear the hum of the angry house, for nothing is so still as a dormitory in mid-afternoon of a midsummer term. It's been papered over till now, McTurk examined the little door. If only we'd known before. I vote we go down and explore. No one will come up this time of day. We needn't keep cavey. 
they crawled in, Stalky leading, drew the door behind them, and on all fours embarked on a dark and dirty road, full of plaster, old shavings, and all the raffle that builders leave in the waste-room of a house. The passage was perhaps three feet wide, and except for the struggling light around the edges of the cupboards, there was one to each dormer, almost pitchy dark. "'Here's Macrae's house,' said Storky, his eye at the crack of the third cupboard. "'I can see Barnes's name on his trunk. Don't make such a row, Beetle. We can get right to the end of the coal. Come on, we're in King's house now. I can see a bit of Rattray's trunk. How these beastly boards hurt one's knees!' They heard his nails scraping on plaster. "'There's a ceiling below. Look out. If we smashed that, the plaster would fall down in the lower dormitory.' said Beetle. Let's, whispered McTurk. And be collared first thing. Not much. Why, I can shove my hand ever so far up between these boards. Sorky thrust an arm to the elbow between the joists. No good staying here. I vote we go back and talk it over. It's a crummy place. I must say I'm grateful to King for his waterworks. They crawled out, brushed one another clean, slid the saloon pistols down a trouser-leg, and hurried forth to a deep and solitary Devonshire lane, in whose flanks a boy might sometimes slay a young rabbit. They threw themselves down under the rank elder-bushes, and began to think aloud. "'You know,' said Storky at last, sighting at a distant sparrow, "'we could hide our sallies in there like anything.' "'Phew!' Beetle snorted, choked and gurgled. He'd been silent since they left the dormitory. Did you ever read a book called The History of a House or something? I got it out of the library the other day. A Frenchwoman wrote it vile at somebody. But it's translated, you know, and it's very interesting. Tells you how a house is built. Well, if you're in a sweat to find out that, you can go down to the new cottages they're building for the Coast Guard. My hat, I will. He felt in his pockets. Give me tuppence, someone. Rot. Stay here. Don't mess about in the sun. Give me tuppence. I say, Beetle, you aren't stuffy about anything, are you? said McTurk, handing over the coppers. His tone was serious, for though Storky often, and McTurk occasionally, manoeuvred on his own account, Beetle had never been known to do so in the history of the Confederacy. No, I'm not. I'm thinking. Well, we'll come too, said Storky with a general suspicion of his aides. Don't want you. Oh, leave him alone. He's been taken worse with a poem, said McTurk. He'll go burbling down to the pebble ridge and spit it all up in the study when he comes back. Then why did he want the tuppence, Turkey? He's getting too beastly independent. Hi, there's a bunny. No, it ain't. It's a cat, by Jove. You plug first. Twenty minutes later. A boy with a straw hat at the back of his head, and his hands in his pockets, was staring at workmen as they moved about a half-finished cottage. He produced some ferocious tobacco, and was passed from the forecourt to the interior, where he asked many questions. "'Well, let's have your beastly epic,' said Turkey, as they burst into the study to find Beetle, deep in Violet Le Duc and some drawings. "'We've had no end of a lark.' Epic? What epic? I've been down to the Coast Guard. No epic. Then we'll slay you, O Beetle. 
said Storky, moving to the attack. "'You've got something up your sleeve. I know when you talk in that tone.' "'Your Uncle Beetle,' with an attempt to imitate Storky's war-voice, "'is a great man.' "'Oh, no, he jolly well isn't anything of the kind. You deceive yourself, Beetle. Scrag him, Turkey!' "'A great man,' Beetle gurgled from the floor. "'You are futile. Look out for my tie. Futile burblers.' I am the great man. I gloat. Ouch! Hear me! Beetle! Ta-da! Storky dropped unreservedly on Beetle's chest. We love you, and you're a poet. If I ever said you were a doggeroo, I apologize. But you know as well as we do that you can't do anything by yourself without mucking it. I've got a notion. And you'll spoil the whole show if you don't tell your Uncle Storky. Cough it up, ducky. We'll see what we can do. Notion, you fat impostor. I knew you had a notion when you went away. Turkey said it was a poem. Oh, he found out how houses are built. Let me get up. The floor joists of one room are the ceiling joists of the room below. Don't be so filthy technical. Well, the man told me. The floor is laid on top of those joists. Those boards on edge we crawled over. But the floor stops at a partition. Well, if you get behind a partition, same as you did in the attic, don't you see that you can shove anything you please under the floor between the floorboards and the lath and plaster of the ceiling below? Look here, I've drawn it. He produced a rude sketch, sufficient to enlighten the Allies. There is no part of the modern school curriculum that deals with architecture and none of them had yet reflected whether floors and ceilings were hollow or solid. Outside his own immediate interests, the boy is as ignorant as the savage he so admires. But he has also the savage's resource. "'I see,' said Storky. "'I shove my hand there, and then?' "'And then, though you've been calling us stinkers, you know. We might shove something under, sulphur or something that stunk pretty bad, and stink them out. I know it can be done somehow.' Beetle's eyes turned to Storky, handling the diagrams. "'Stinks,' said Storky interrogatively. Then his face grew luminous with delight. "'By gum, I've got it! Horrid stinks! "'Turkey!' he leapt at the Irishman. "'This afternoon, just after Beetle went away, she's the very thing!' "'Come to my arms, my beamish boy,' caroled McTurk. And they fell into each other's arms, dancing. Oh, fabulous day, Kalu Kalay, she will, she will. Hold on," said Beetle. "I don't understand, dear man. It shall, though. Oh, Artie, my poor souled youth, let us tell our darling Reggie about pestiferous stinkadores. Not love to call over. Come on. I say," said Orin stiffly, as they fell into their places along the walls of the gymnasium. The house are going to hold another meeting. Hold away, then. Storky's mind was elsewhere. About you three this time. All right, give my love. Here, sir. He tore down the corridor, gambling like kids at play, with bounds and side starts, with caperings and convertings. They led the almost bursting beetle to the rabbit lane, and from under a pile of stones, drew forth the new-slain corpse of a cat. Then did Beetle see the inner meaning of what had gone before and lifted up his voice in thanksgiving, for that the world held warriors so wise as Storky and McTurk. 
well-nourished old lady, ain't she?' said Storky. "'How long do you suppose it'll take her to get a bit of a whiff in a confined space?' "'Bit of a whiff? What a coarse brute you are!' said McTurk. "'Can't a poor pussycat get under King's dormitory floor to die, without your pursuing her with your foul, foul innuendos?' "'What did she die under the floor for?' said Beetle, looking to the future. "'Oh, they won't worry about that when they find her,' replied Storky. "'A cat may look at a king.' McTurk rolled down the bank at his own jest. "'Pussy, you don't know how useful you're going to be, two, three pure-souled, high-minded boys.' "'They'll take up the floor for her, same as they did in number nine, when the rat croaked. Big medicine! Heap big medicine! Phew, oh, Lord, I wish I could stop laughing,' said Beetle. "'Stinks! High stinks, clammy ones!' McTurk gasped as he regained his place. "'And!' the exquisite humour of it brought them sliding down together in a tangle. "'It's all for the honour of the house, too!' "'And they're holding another meeting on us!' Storky panted, his knees in the ditch and his face in the long grass. "'Well, let's get the bullet out of her and hurry up. The sooner she's bedded out, the better.' Between them they did some grisly work with a penknife. Between them, ask not who buttoned her to his bosom, they took up the corpse and hastened back, Storky arranging their plan of action at full trot. The afternoon sun, lying in broad patches on the bed-rugs, saw three boys in an umbrella disappear into a dormitory wall. Five minutes later they emerged, brushed themselves all over, washed their hands, combed their hair, and descended. "'Are you sure you shoved her far enough under?' said McTurk suddenly. "'Hang it, man! I shoved her the full length of my arm, and Beetle's brolly. That must be about six feet. She's bung in the middle of King's big upper ten-bedder. Eligible central situation, I call it. She'll stink out his chaps, and Hartrops, and McCrae's, when she really begins to fume. I swear your Uncle Storky is a great man. Do you realize what a great man he is, Beetle?' "'Well, I had the notion first, hadn't I? Only—' "'You couldn't do it without your Uncle Storky, could you?' "'They've been calling us stinkers for a week now,' said McTurk. Oh, "'Who won't they catch it?' "'Stinker! Yah! Stinker!' rang down the corridor. "'And she's there,' said Storky, a hand on either boy's shoulder. "'She is there, getting ready to surprise em. "'Presently she'll begin to whisper to em in their dreams. "'And she'll whiff—golly, how she'll whiff! "'Oblige me by thinking of it for two minutes.' They went to their study, in more or less of silence. There they began to laugh, laugh as only boys can. They laughed with their foreheads on the tables or on the floor, laughed at length, curled up over the backs of chairs, or clinging to a bookshelf, laughed themselves limp. And in the middle of it, Orin entered on behalf of the house. "'Don't mind us, Orin. Sit down. You don't know how we respect and admire you. There's something about your pure, high, young forehead, full of the dreams of innocent boyhood, that's no end fetching. It is indeed. The house sent me to give you this. He laid a folded sheet of paper on the table and retired with an awful front. It's a resolution. Oh, read it, someone. I'm too silly sick with laughing to see, said Beetle. Storky jerked it open with a precautionary sniff. Phew, phew. Listen. The house notices with pain and contempt the attitude of indifference. How many F's in indifference, Beetle? Two for choice. Only one here. 
adopted by the occupants of number five study in relation to the insults offered to mr prout's house at the recent meeting in number twelve form room and the house hereby pass a vote of censure on the said study that's all and she bled all down my shirt too said beetle and i'm catty all over said mcturk though i washed twice and I nearly broke Beetle's brolly planting her where she would blossom. The situation was beyond speech, but not laughter. There was some attempt that night to demonstrate against the three in their dormitory, so they came forth. You see, Beetle began suavely as he loosened his braces, the trouble with you is that you're a set of unthinking asses. You've got no more brains than spridges. We've told you that heaps of times, haven't we? "'We'll give the three of you a dormitory licking. "'You always jaw at us as if you were prefects,' cried one. "'Oh, no, you won't,' said Storky. "'Because you know that if you did, you'd get the worst of it sooner or later. "'We aren't in any hurry. "'We can afford to wait for our little revenges. "'You've made howling asses of yourselves. "'And just as soon as King gets hold of your precious, precious resolutions tomorrow, "'you'll find that out. "'If you aren't sick and sorry by tomorrow night, I'll—I'll I'll eat my hat.' But, or ever the dinner-bell rang the next day, Prouts were sadly aware of their error. King received stray members of that house with an exaggerated attitude of fear. Did they purpose to cause him to be dismissed from the college by unanimous resolution? What were their views concerning the government of the school, that he might hasten to give effect to them? He would not offend them for worlds, but he feared, he sadly feared, that his own house— who did not pass resolutions, but washed, might somewhat deride. King was a happy man, and his house, basking in the favour of his smile, made that afternoon a long penance for the misled Prouts. And Prout himself, with a dull and lowering visage, tried to think out the rights and the wrongs of it all, only plunging deeper into bewilderment. Why should his house be called Stinkers? Truly it was a small thing, but he had been trained to believe that straws show which way the wind blows and there is no smoke without fire. He approached King in common room, with a sense of injustice. But King was pleased to be full of airy persiflage that tide, and brilliantly danced dialectical rings around Prout. Now, said Storky at bedtime, making pil pilgrimage through the dormitories before the prefects came by, now, what have you got to say for yourselves? Foster, Carton, Finch, Longbridge, Marlin, Brett, I heard you chaps catching it from King. He made hay of you, and all you could do was to wriggle and grin and say, Yes, sir, and No, sir, and Oh, sir, and Please, sir. You and your resolution. <laughs> oh, shut up, Storky. Not a bit of it. You're a gaudy lot of revolutionists, you are. You've made a sweet mess of it. Perhaps you'll have the decency to leave us alone next time. Here the house grew angry and in many voices pointed out how this blunder would never have come to pass if number five study had helped them from the first. But you chaps are so beastly conceited, and, and you swaggered into the meeting as if we were a lot of idiots, growled Orin of the resolution. That's precisely what you are. That's what we've been trying to hammer into your thick heads all this time, said Storky. Never mind, we'll forgive you. Cheer up. You can't help being asses, you know and the enemy's flank deftly turned, Storky hopped into bed. 
That night was the first of sorrow among the jubilant kings. By some accident of underfloor draughts, the cat did not vex the dormitory beneath which she lay, but the next one to the right, stealing upon the air rather as a pale blue sensation than as any poignant offence. But the mere adumbration of an odour is enough for the sensitive nose and clean tongue of youth. Decency demands that we draw several carbolized sheets over what the dormitory said to Mr. King and what Mr. King replied. He was genuinely proud of his house and fastidious in all that concerned their well-being. He came, he sniffed, he said things. Next morning a boy in that dormitory confided to his bosom friend, a fag of Macrae's, that there was trouble in their midst which King would fain keep secret. But Macrae's boy also had a bosom friend in Prout's, a shock-headed fag of malignant disposition, who, when he'd wormed out the secret, told. Told it in a high-pitched treble that rang along the corridor like a bat's squeak. And, and, they've been calling us stinkers all this week. Why, Holland Minor says they simply can't sleep in his dormitory for the stink. Come on! With one shout and with one cry, Prout's juniors hurled themselves into the war. And through the interval between first and second lesson, some fifty twelve-year-olds were embroiled on the gravel outside King's windows, to a tune whose leitmotif was the word stinker. Hark to the minute gun at sea, said Storky. They were in their study, collecting books for second lesson, Latin with King. I thought his azure brow was a bit cloudy at prayers. She is coming, Sister Mary, she is, if they make such a row now, what will they do when she really begins to look up and take notice? Well, no vulgar repartee, Beetle. All we want is to keep out of this row like gentlemen. Tis but a little faded flower, and where's my Horace? Look here, I don't understand what she means by stinking out Rattray's dormitory first. We hold in under whites, didn't we? asked McTurk, with a wrinkled brow. Skittish little thing. She's romping about all over the place, I suppose. My aunt! King'll be a cheerful customer at second lesson. I haven't prepared my Horace one little bit, either, said Beetle. Come on! They were outside the form-room door now. It was within five minutes of the bell, and King might arrive at any moment. Turkey elbowed into a cohort of scuffling fags, cut out Thornton Tertius, he that had been Harland's bosom friend, and bade him tell his tale. It was a simple one, interrupted by tears. Many of King's house had already battered him for the libel. "'Oh, it's nothing!' McTurk cried. "'He says that King's house stinks, that's all.' "'Stale!' Storky shouted. "'We knew that years ago, only we didn't choose to run about shouting stinker. We've got some manners, if they haven't. Catch a fag, Turkey, and make sure of it.' Turkey's long arm closed on a hurried and anxious ornament of the lower second. "'Oh, McTurk, please let me go. I don't stink, I swear I don't.' "'Guilty conscience?' cried Beetle. "'Who said you did?' "'What do you make of it?' Storky punted the small boy into Beetle's arms. "'He does, though. I think it's leprosy or thrush. Perhaps it's both. Take it away.' "'Indeed, Master Beetle.' King generally came to the house door for a minute or two as the bell rang. We are vastly indebted to you for your diagnosis, which seems to reflect almost as much credit on the natural unwholesomeness of your mind 
as it does on your pitiful ignorance of the diseases of which you discourse so glibly. We will, however, test your knowledge in other directions." That was a merry lesson, but in his haste to scarify Beetle, King clean neglected to give him an imposition, and since at the same time he supplied him with many priceless ad adjectives for later use, Beetle was well content, and applied himself most seriously throughout third lesson, algebra with a little hardtop, to composing a poem entitled The Lazar House. After dinner, King took his house to bathe in the sea off the Pebble Ridge. It was an old promise, but he wished he could have evaded it, for all Prouts lined up by the Fives Court, and cheered with intention. In his absence not less than half the school invaded the infected dormitory to draw their own conclusions. The cat had gained in the last twelve hours, but a battlefield of the fifth day could not have been so flamboyant as the spies reported. "'My word! She is doing herself proud,' said Storky. "'Did you ever smell anything like it? And, and she isn't under White's dormitory at all yet.' "'But she will be. Give her a time,' said Beetle. She'll twine like a giddy honeysuckle. What howling Lazarites they are! No house is justified in making itself a stench in the nostrils of decent, high-minded, pure-souled boys. Do you burn with remorse and regret? said McTurk, as they hastened to meet the house coming up from the sea. The king had deserted it, so speech was unfettered. Round its front played a crowd of skirmishers, all houses mixed up, flying, reforming, sh shrieking insults. On its tortured flanks marched the hoplites, seniors hurling jests one after another, simple and primitive jests of the Stone Age. To these the three added themselves, dispassionately, with the air of aloofness, almost sadly. "'And they look all right, too,' said Storky. "'It can't be Rattray, can it? Rattray?' No answer. "'Rattray, dear. He seems to be stuffy about something or other. Look here, old man. We don't bear any malice about your sending that soap to us last week, do we? Be cheerful, Rat. You can live this down all right. I dare say it's only a few fags. Your house is so beastly slack, though." "'You aren't going back to the house, are you?' said McTurk. The victims desired nothing better. "'You've simply no conception of the reek up there. Of course, frowzen as you do, you wouldn't notice it. But after this nice wash and clean fresh air, even you'd be upset. Much better camp on the burrows. We'll get you some straw, shall we?" The house hurried in to the tune of John Brown's Body, sung by loving schoolmates, and barricaded themselves in their form-room. Straight away Storky chalked up a large cross with, Lord have mercy on us, on the door, and left King to find it. The wind shifted that night, and wafted a carrion reek into Macrae's dormitories so the boys in nightgowns pounded on the locked door between the houses, entreating kings to wash. Number five study went to second lesson, with not more than half a pound of camphor apiece in their clothing, and king, too wary to ask for explanations, gibbered a while and hurled them forth. So Beetle finished yet another poem at peace in his study. "'They're using carbolic now, Malpas told me,' said Storky. The king thinks it's the drains.' "'She'll need a lot of carbolic,' said McTurk. "'No harm trying, I suppose. It'll keep King out of mischief.' "'I swear I thought he was going to kill me when I sniffed just now. He didn't mind Burton Major sniffing at me the other day, though. He never stopped Alexander, howling stinker. 
into our form room before before we doctored em. He just grinned, said Storky. What was he thrusting over you for, Beetle? Ah, that was my subtle jape. I had him on toast. You know how he always jaws about the learned Lipsius. Who, at the age of four, that chap, said McTurk. Yes, whenever he hears I've written a poem. Well, just as I was sitting down, I whispered, How's our learned Lipsius to Burton Major? Old Butt grinned like an owl. He didn't know what I was driving at, but King jolly well did. That was really why he hove us out. Ain't you grateful? Now shut up. I'm going to write the ballad of the learned Lipsius. Keep clear of anything coarse, then, said Storky. I shouldn't like to be coarse on this happy occasion. Not for worlds. What rhymes with the stenches, someone? In common room at lunch, King discoursed acridly to Prout of boys with purient minds who perverted their few and baleful talents to sap discipline and corrupt their equals, to deal in foul imagery and destroy reverence. But you, you didn't seem to consider this when your house called us our uh, stinkers. If you hadn't assured me that you never interfere with another man's house, I should almost believe that it was a few casual remarks of yours that started all this nonsense. Prout had endured much, for King always took his temper to meals. You spoke to Beetle yourself, didn't you? Something about not bathing and being a water-funk? The school chaplain put in. I was scoring in the pavilion that day. I may have, jestingly. I really don't pretend to remember every remark I let fall among small boys. And full well I know the Beetle has no feelings to be hurt. Maybe. But he, or they, it comes to the same thing, have a fiend's own knack of discovering a man's weak place. I confess I'd rather go out of my way to conciliate number five study. It may be soft, but so far I believe I'm the only man here they haven't maddened by their, well, attentions. That is all beside the point. I flatter myself I can deal with them alone as occasion arises. But if they feel themselves morally supported by those who should wield an absolute and open-handed justice, then I say that my lot is indeed a hard one. Of all things I detest, I admit that anything verging on disloyalty among ourselves is the first. The common room looked at one another out of the corner of their eyes, and Prout blushed. I deny it absolutely, he said. Uh, in fact, I own that I personally object to all three of them. It's not fair, therefore, to— "'How long do you propose to allow it?' said King. Oh, "'But surely,' said Macrae, deserting his usual ally, "'the blame, if there be any, rests with you, King. "'You can't hold them responsible for the—' "'Prefer the good old Anglo-Saxon, I believe, stink in your house? "'My boys are complaining of it now.' "'What can you expect? You know what boys are. "'Naturally they take advantage of what is to them a heaven-sent opportunity.' said little Hartrop. "'What is the trouble with your dormitories, King?' Mr. King explained that, as he had made it the one rule of his life never to interfere with another man's house, so he expected not to be too patently interfered with. They might be interested to learn—here the chaplain heaved a weary sigh—that he had taken all steps that, in his poor judgment, would meet the needs of the case. Nay, further, he had himself expended, with no thought of reimbursement, sums the amount of which he would not specify on disinfectants. This he had done because he knew by bitter, 
by most bitter experience, that the management of the college was slack, dilatory, and inefficient. He might even add, almost as slack as the administration of certain houses, which now thought fit to sit in judgment on his actions. With a short summary of his scholastic career, and a precy of his qualifications, including his degrees, he withdrew, slamming the door. "'Hey, ho!' said the chaplain. "'Ours is a dwarfing life, a belittling life, my brethren. God help all schoolmasters, they need it.' "'I don't like the boys I own,' Prout dug viciously with his fork into the tablecloth. "'But I don't pretend to be a strong man, as you know. But I confess I can't see any reason why I should take steps against Storky and the others, because King happens to be annoyed by—by—' "'By falling in the pit he's digged!' said little Hartrop. "'Certainly not, Prout. No one accuses you of setting one house against another through sheer idleness.' "'A belittling life, a belittling life,' the chaplain rose. "'I go to correct French exercises. By dinner King will have scored off some unlucky child of thirteen. He will repeat to us every word of his brilliant repartees, and all will be well. But what about those three? Are they so purient-minded? Nonsense, said little Hartrop. If you thought for a minute, Prout, you would see the precocious flow of fetid imagery that King complains of is borrowed wholesale from King. He nursed the pinion that impelled the steel. Naturally, he does not approve. Come into the smoking-room for a minute. It isn't fair to listen to boys, but they should now be rubbing it into King's house outside. Little things please little minds." The dingy den off the common-room was never used for anything except gowns. Its windows were ground-glass. One could not see out of it, but one could hear almost every word on the gravel outside. A light and wary footstep came up from number five. Rattray. In a subdued voice, Rattray's study fronted that way. "'Do you know if Mr. King is anywhere about? I've got a—' McTurk discreetly left the end of the sentence open. "'No, he's gone out,' said Rattray, unguardedly. "'Ah! The learned Lipsius is airing himself, is he? His Royal Highness has gone to fumigate.' McTurk climbed on the railings, where he held forth like a never-wearied rook. Now, in all the call, there was no stink like the stink of King's house, for it stank vehemently, and none knew what to make of it, save King, and he washed the fags privatim et seriatim. In the fish-pools of Heshbon he washed them, with an apron about his loins. "'Shut up, you mad Irishman!' There was the sound of a golf-ball spurting up gravel. "'It's no good getting wrothy, Rattray. We've come to jape with you.' Come on, Beetle. They're all at home. You can win them. Where's Pomposo Stinkador? It isn't safe for a pure-souled, high-minded boy to be seen round his house these days. Gone out, has he? Never mind. I'll do the best I can, Rattray. I'm in loco parentis just now. One for you, Prout, whispered Macrae, for this was Mr. Prout's pet phrase. I have a few words to impart to you, my young friend. We will discourse together for a while." Here the listening Prout spluttered. Beetle, in a strained voice, had chosen a favourite gambit of King's. "'I repeat, Master Rattray, we will confer. 
and the matter of our discourse shall not be stinks, for that is a loathsome and obscene word. We will, with your good leave, granted I trust, Master Rattray, granted I trust, study this, this scabrous upheaval of latent demoralization. What impresses me most is not so much the blatant indecency with which you swagger about under your load of putrescence, you must imagine this discourse punctuated with golf-balls. But old Rattray was ever a bad shot. Has the cynical immorality with which you revel in your abhorrent aromas? Far be it from me to interfere in another's house. Good Lord, said Prout, but this is king. Line for line, letter for letter, listen, said little Hartrop. But to say that you stink, as certain lewd fellows of the baser sort have, is to say nothing less than nothing, in the absence of your beloved housemaster, for whom no one has a higher regard than myself. I will, if you allow me, explain the grossness, the unparalleled enormity, the appalling feeter of the stenches. I believe in the good old Anglo-Saxon word, stenches, sir, with which you have seen fit to infect your house. Oh, bother, I've forgotten the rest, but it was very beautiful. Aren't you grateful to us for labouring with you in this way, Rattray? Lots of chaps would have never taken the trouble. But we're grateful, Rattray. Yes, we're horrid grateful, grunted McTurk. We don't forget that soap. We're polite. Why ain't you polite, Rat? Hello, Storky cantered up, his cap over one eye. Exhorting the whiffers, eh? I'm afraid they're too far gone to repent. Rattray, White, Perone, Malpass. No answer. This is distressing. This is truly distressing. Bring out your dead, you glandered lepers. You think yourself funny, don't you? said Rattray, stung from his dignity at last. It's only a rat or something under the floor. We're going to have it up tomorrow. Don't try to shuffle it off on a poor dumb animal, and dead too. I loathe prevarication. Pon my soul, Rattray. "'Hold on! The Hartoffles never said, "'Pon my soul, in his little life,' said Beetle critically. "'Ah!' said Prout, the little Hartrop. "'Pon my word, sir! Pon my word, sir! I expected better things of you, Rattray. "'Why can you not own up to your own misdeeds like a man? "'Have I ever shown any lack of confidence in you?' "'It's not brutality,' murmured little Hartrop, "'as though answering a question no one had asked. "'It's boy, only boy. And this was the house, Storky changed from a pecking, fluttering voice to tragic earnestness. This was the, the open cesspit that dared to call us stinkers. And now, and now it tries to shelter itself behind a dead rat. You annoy me, Rattray. You disgust me. You irritate me unspeakably. Thank Heavens, I'm a man of equitable temper. This is to your address, Macrae, said Prout. And I fear so, I fear so. More, I should scarcely be able to contain myself before your mocking visage. Gavy. In an undertone, Beetle had spied King sailing down the corridor. And what may you be doing here, my little friends? The housemaster began. I had a fleeting notion. Correct me if I'm wrong. The listeners with one accord choked that if I found you outside my house I should visit you with dire pains and penalties. We were just going for a walk, sir, said Beetle. 
and you stopped to speak to Rattray en route? Yes, sir. We've been throwing golf balls, said Rattray, coming out of the study. Old Rat is more of a diplomat than I thought. So far he is strictly within the truth, said little Hartrop. Observe the ethics of it, Prout. Oh, you were sporting with them, were you? I must say I do not envy you your choice of associates. I fancied they might have been engaged in some of the purient discourse with which they have been so disgustingly free of late. I should strongly advise you to direct your steps most carefully in the future. Pick up those golf balls, he passed on. The next day, Richards, who had been a carpenter in the navy, and to whom odd jobs were confided, was ordered to take up the dormitory floor, for Mr. King held that something must have died there. We need not neglect all our work for a trumpery incident of this nature, though I am quite aware that little things please little minds. Yes, I have decreed the boards be taken up after lunch under Richard's auspices. I have no doubt it will be vastly interesting to a certain type of so-called intellect, but any boy of my house or another's found on the dormitory stairs will ipso facto render himself liable to three hundred lines. The boys did not collect on the stairs, but most of them waited outside King's. Richards had been bound to cry the news from the attic window, and, if possible, to exhibit the corpse. "'Tis a cat! A dead cat!" Richards' face showed purple at the window. He'd been in the chamber of death and on his knees for some time. "'Cat be blowed!' cried McTurk. "'It's a dead fag left over from last term. Three cheers for King's dead fag!' they cheered lustily. "'Show it! Show it! Let's give a squint at it!' yelled the juniors. Give it to the bug hunters. This was the Natural History Society. The cat looked at the king and died of it. Whoosh! Yay! Meow! Meow! Fst! were some of the cries that followed. Again Richards appeared. She'd been, he checked himself suddenly, dead a long time. The school roared. Well, come on out for a walk said Storky, in a well-chosen pause. "'It's all very disgusting. I do hope the Lazar House won't do it again.' "'Do what?' a King's boy cried furiously. "'Kill a poor innocent cat every time you want to get off washing. It's awfully hard to distinguish between you as it is. I prefer the cat, I must say. She isn't quite so whiff. What are you going to do, Beetle?' "'Je vais gloter. Je vais gloter tout le blessed afternoon.' Jamais j'ai gloté comme je gloterai aujourd'hui. Nous bunkerons aux bunkers. And it seemed good to them so to do. Down in the basement, where the gas flickers and the boots stand in racks, Richards, amid his blacking brushes, held forth to Oak of the Common Room, Gumbly of the Dining Halls, and Fair Lena of the Laundry. Yes, her were in a shocking state and condition. Her nigh made me sick, I tell ye. But I routed an out, I routed an out, and I made all shipshape. The were smelt like the bilges. Her died mousin, I reckon, poor thing, said Lena. Then her mouse different to any cat o' God's word, Lena. I up with the top board, and she were lying on her back, and I turned an over with me broom handle. 
and twas her back was all covered with plaster from twixt the lathen yes i tally and under her head there lay like so as to say a little pillow o plaster druv up in front of her by raison of her sliding along on her back no cat never went mousin on her back lena some one had shoved her along right underneath so far as they could shove em cats don't make theyselves pillows for to die on shoved along she were and she was settin for to be cold like oh you'm so clever to live fatty yo go get wed and taught some sense said lena the affianced of gumbly larned a little for i ever some maidens was born sarved in the queen's navy i have where you'm taught to use your eyes you go and tend your own business lena do we mean what you been telling us said oak ask me no questions and i'll give you no lies bullet hole clean through the side from side and two heart ribs broke like the withies i seed em when i turned em over they're clever oh they'm clever but they'm not too clever for old richards twas on the barn tip of my tongue to tell too but he said us never washed he did let his dumb boys call a stinker as he did sarvan dumb well right i say Richards spat on a fresh boot and fell to his work chuckling End of chapter three